Okay, I have been angry all week about this time change. It's my least favorite day of the year. I got up at like 2 in the morning. Uh, actually, that's my wife. She said, I've been a bear all week because I've been talking about this, just going, oh, oh time change is coming. Oh, it's terrible. Oh. It is. Time change is terrible. Uh, Monday nights, we, we are having a gospel class right now. You are more than welcome to come. Uh, the gospel class is a seven-week course that we have you guys go through if you want to actually become a member at Element because there's basic things that we think everybody needs to know, especially about Christianity. So we cover scripture, God, salvation, sin, stewardship, what a missional church is, all those things. Over seven weeks. So you're welcome to come. If you missed last Monday, you can still come tomorrow night. I just recommend you go to the website, ourelement.org. Click on My Element at the top. And when you scroll down, you'll see Gospel Class Week 1. You can listen to it. Apparently, I cracked some jokes in it in the last one I recorded. So somebody sent me a note and said, that was funny. I'm like, it's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be. Here's information. And I am really tired. So if I don't crack any jokes this morning, that's why. I am just, I'm ready to pass out. Uh, sometimes some people, you know, you look at someone does announcements and people are like, hey, they're not very funny. We don't like. Them. So you know what? I'm opening this up. If you are somebody who likes to get in front of people and you want to do announcements, come and talk to me and I'll have you introduce you to Denise and we'll put you on the list to do announcements. <laughs> or not. Okay. But well, we, we can do that. Uh, we have a prayer list. Uh, on our website, if you go to the My Element section also, you can put in prayer requests. If you have something going on you'd like us to pray for you, it goes out to a list of people on our who signed up for it on our website. And so we can pray for whatever you need to pray for. Uh, this week, apparently, you're all doing great and there's no prayer. I should have put freaking time change. Or can I say freaking? Stupid time change. <laughs> like I said, I'm a little sleepy, so if I say something I shouldn't, just... Go with it. It's good. Uh, we, I was on the board and I were talking, and we are going to start, well, James and I are going to start having in the next couple of weeks here some normal office hours. I don't know if you guys care. Uh, but because we have normal office hours, I'm going to move some of my books down here. I have a couple thousand books. And uh, so if you would happen to have like an old bookshelf laying around your garage I, and you don't want it, I'd totally take it. Okay? If any. Uh, if it's not like particle board, because like, I got a lot of books, okay, and you put a particle board and just like, okay, it's not great when you go and you go, hey, that's a nice bookshelf with your. You guys are just as tired as me. It's going to be a tough crowd this morning. I can totally tell. Um, why don't you stand on the reading of God's Word? This is Romans 11:36. It says, "For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever." Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we, as a people, would honor who you are, that uh, to you, to you, would be all our praise and honor and glory, that we would understand who you are and who you have called us as your people to be, and we would live and walk in that. Amen. I have a seat. Okay. Give a Bible. I can open to John chapter eight. Start. We're going to start in verse thirty-one. We are going through the book of John. If you've never been here before, you can go to our website, get all the old messages on John. If you're so inclined, again, it's like I always say, they're free, so you get what you pay for. Uh, we're going to do a little review. If you've been here for the last three weeks, you might hear me say this, some of the same things I've already said. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit of review. Uh, that's good. Uh, we need it. Don't just sit there and go. This is like deja vu. I swear, I dreamt this before. You're going to hear some of the things stuff today. You're going to get a little bit of theology. Uh, and then I'm going to beat you up a little bit. 
because we all need that at times. I, I know I need it. And as I was going through this, I kind of beat myself up reading some of the stuff about continuing and how Jesus calls us to continue. But I do this because I love you, and you got to trust me. So that's how that's going. Uh, Jesus has just been teaching that he was sent from God, and he did and does and says just what the Father tells him. And this starts off another dialogue of reaction between the Jews and Jesus. So we're going to jump right in and just hit it running. 831 is where it starts. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, some translations will actually say the truth will make you free. It's the same idea there. Jesus gives a promise that when we continue in his teaching, we become liberated. We become truly free. Unlike so many people who think they are free, but they're just in bondage to all their own sins. This is not a euphoric high. It's not like, oh, this is, I'm so, it is a continuing in his teaching. Now, some people, and I'm, and I'm not pointing fingers, uh, they, they learn something new from God all the time. They get really excited, but they don't continue in that. They, they get very lazy and cycle back to where they were before. Uh, I got a couple examples. Don't worry, it's nobody in this room. Uh, like I always say, you're my best examples, but I can't use you because I just offend you all the time. So uh, sometimes parents will come in and they'll talk to me about their kids. And they say, well, I've got some issues. What should I do? And typically, the, the one book that I recommend to everybody to read is a book called Boundaries with Kids. And, it's, and they go, no, I want something really practical. Really help me. And I go, okay, here's my advice. Read this book. No, no, I just, I just give me something. And I'm like, read the book. You know? so, and I, I used to keep like 10 copies. And I just hand these out because people just need to read this book. And so eventually, you know, people take a book. And about three months later, they'd call me. And they go, I just read chapter one. That's amazing. And I go, I know. Uh, and, and so they start to implement some of the stuff that, that's in chapter 1. I will tell you, 9 out of 10 people do not make it through chapter 3 because chapter 1 starts, they start doing it, things get a little bit better, and they just stop. It's like, oh, things are better now, and they don't continue to continue. And then a couple months after that, they're right back to where they started because they don't continue. Married couples come in to me and talk to me in my office, and marriage is hard. I don't know if, if, if you're married. It's hard, right? Hard. It's, it's hard work. Not that it's not worth it. But it is hard work. It is, it is constantly dying to yourself, constantly trying to love the other person, being unselfish. And married couples come to my office and we'll talk about stuff. And it's like, this is what we need to do. You know how to communicate and give of yourself. And, and people, oh, yeah, this is great. About two weeks go by and things are going a little bit better. And then they just stop. It is a continual process. We just go back to where we were before. We have to continue to continue. That's the idea that Jesus says. You have to continue in the teaching. Uh, you hold, you continue. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a great book. It's all about discipleship and obedience. You keep going in the same direction. We move in his direction. And when we do that, we get freedom. In our world, the greatest desire for almost everybody is this idea of freedom. But we have no clue what it really is. We think freedom is from something instead of actually freedom to actually be able to do something else. And Jesus today... God makes this promise. He wants to free us from one thing so we are free to something else. Actually, you never see the titles of my messages when I write these, but I always write a cute little title. This is actually called From To. From? Yeah, it's, I just... Yeah, it's a tough crowd this morning. Verse 33. Um, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to, of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They rightly understand that Jesus had just told them they are slaves. And they fully say, we're Jews, we're not slaves. This is kind of overstating their case a little bit. If you look through their own scriptures, they have been slaves in Assyria and Babylon and Egypt. 
All these people held them as slaves, and now they're under a Roman occupation in their own country. If you read their scriptures, it shows up personally. Their rulers were all in bondage to slavery and sin. David uh, commits adultery with Bathsheba. You got Moses, who's, who's a murderer. You get Saul, you know, who commits witchcraft. You get Solomon, who has 700 wives and 300 concubines made for harvesting wheat. No, 300 concubines. Let's see if you guys are like following with me. I mean, wow. <laughs> We all know if you've got one wife, that's, an, that's enough effort of, it, of its own. And their argument is this. They say, well, we don't need to be liberated because we're Jews. We're already free. You listen to people today. You, you ask people, how do you know you have a relationship with God? And they will say things like, well, I come from a great tradition. Oh, I grew up a Christian. My relatives are missionaries. My parents made me go to Sunday school. I went to Christian school for 10 years, and I hated it all the time. That's how I know I'm a Christian. You know, my family has been Christians for, for generations. And the same thing along with the Jews here. They don't understand this whole idea of freedom because they think our family, our tradition gives us that. This is the hardest thing in dealing with people who have a semblance of spirituality is that people do not get that they, they need more than just their own belief in God. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. This is what he says in verse 34. I tell you the truth, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So that's the bottom line issue right there. The issue is sin. And you can't say, well, I was raised a Christian Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin is a harsh master. We like to point to things that we say are sins. We're like, well, killing and adultery and stealing and pop-up ads on the Internet and boy bands on the radio, country music. Those are sins. You know, that's sins. But Jesus' issue here is this is a heart condition. Our actions are a byproduct of our condition. Sin is a status of rebellion against God and a rejection of His truth. Simply. We live as if we are our own law to ourselves. And it is out of that state of being that comes sin. Where we do things that are the exact opposite of we know what God calls us to do, and yet we think it's okay because we're in rebellion. That's how it works. Jesus says there's one way that you and I get in this position. You sin once. But then Adam already sinned on your behalf, so thank you very much. We're all just screwed. Can I say that? Yes, I can say it, whatever. Yeah, we're, so we're born into sin as well. Paul says in Romans 3.23, All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we may protest, say, no, 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 I'm basically a good guy. You know, I just every once in a while do something that's, that's not too cool. Jesus says, no, you're bad. That's your problem. And basically, when you do something nice, that's an aberration. Oh, I was polite. Oh, I'm really sorry. That's out of character for me. I didn't know what I was thinking. You know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. We think that we're good people who maybe do wrong once in a while. But then we're also full of pride when we do something good that kind of throws it in the drink anyway. You know, if, if you think that, that you don't sin, well, I don't get drunk and I don't put people down. And I only beat up people who deserve it. You know, if, you, if that's kind of you, you can, you can prove you're without sin. Talked about this last week a little bit. You just never sin, ever. And people usually say, well, nobody's perfect. Exactly. Except for Jesus. That's the point. The whole world is in slavery to sin. And if we disagree, then not only do we never do the wrong thing, but we also never fail to do the right thing as well with pure motive and pure heart and pure devotion. If you can do that, then you can call Jesus, Jesus a liar. Say, you're a liar. No, I don't sin. But he says that we are all slaves to our sin. That's our problem. Christianity begins, Jesus begins with the issue of sin. And people have looked for ages everywhere to try and figure out how to deal with this problem. At the gospel class last week, we talked about, uh, someone brought up the question about Eastern religions. 
Well, in Eastern religions, you know, you get this whole thing where you sin, you die, you come back. You sin, you die, you come back. You sin, you die, you come back. You do this thousands or millions of times in these cycles of enlightenment until you get it right. But you know what? Every time we come back, we put the car in reverse and we go the other way. It's not, we're not moving forward. We just get a little bit worse. You know, you come back as, you know, a person, then you're just terrible. You just come back as like a dog and then you pee in my lawn. So then you come back as like a toad or a tortoise in Karen's yard, and then you go back and make a blade of grass and a rock. We just get worse and worse and worse. You know, the whole goal of this enlightenment in Eastern religions is to lose yourself in the cosmic consciousness of the universe. That's a terrible motivator. You know, you get to lose yourself. What's the point of that? God creates all of us with unique personality because he likes the uniqueness of who we are. We worship in a unique way because we are all different. God loves that uniqueness and the individualness of who we are. You have weird American religions that come along. They say, well, sin's just an illusion. I'm just asking you a question. Anybody in here ever been hurt by somebody else ever in your life? Anybody gossip about you? There you go. Sin's not an illusion. Okay? We have all been sinned against. We know it's real. And so what Jesus does, he talks about sin. He takes this whole conversation from sin to him. From to. See? From sin to him. Verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See? From sin to him. He says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me. Because you have no room for my word, I am I'm telling you what I've heard and seen the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. So what Jesus does now is that he moves this over, talks about two families. From Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve sinned, God puts a curse on the serpent, and there's been war between essentially two families ever since, Satan's and God's. If you're not in God's family, you're a slave in the other. Culturally, in this context, a slave is a person that was not well cared for. A slave had no rights. A slave could be cast away at any moment. But a son... A son was well cared for. A son was loved. A son is given a family name. A son is loved by the father. And he tells them that they run around telling everyone that they're children of God, but they don't live like it. He says, you're not children of God. You have a different father, and you're a slave to sin. You're not a child of God. He says, you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. And this is so funny because this is when Jesus kind of goes at them, they just kind of start, Abraham! Once again, I think scripture is hilarious, but not all people apparently do. Um, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He believed. That's what Abraham did. You don't get somebody else's faith and belief. You need to ask yourself, do you believe in Jesus? That's the question. That's what it comes down to. Jesus tells them, verse 40, As it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing, your, you are doing the things your own father does. And what you see in this section is that their con- Jesus' conversation with these religious leaders constantly is just getting a little more heated. It's getting a little more to the point. And you'll see this in a minute when they just start throwing jabs back at each other. What Jesus says here is he goes, he says, don't tell me that God is your father and then act completely different to how he calls you to live. He says, don't call yourself a Christian if you treat people with contempt. Don't call yourself a, a Christian if you think that you're your own God. You know, don't run around telling everybody that, that you're a believer if you're sleeping with your fiancé or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And then say, oh, no, I'm, I'm a believer. He says, don't call yourself a believer if, if you eat crack for breakfast. You know, don't do those things. You know, some people say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I just don't look like it. Well, you know, look. I said, look. You know, seriously, if, if, you, if, if you don't quack and you don't float, maybe you're not a duck. Maybe you're a brick. And may, maybe you sink very, very fast, you know. 
They said, we're from Abraham. We have a relationship with God. And Jesus is telling them, it will be born out in your lives if that was true, if you really love God. There, I don't think there's any such thing as an invisible Christian. I love God. You, ju- you just can't see it. There is no marriage like that either. I mean, seriously, what wife would take that crap from her husband? Oh, I, I love you. I, you'll just never see it. I mean, no, if you're like that, you wouldn't have a wife very long. Okay? You, you, you need to do these things to show that you love them. And so they, they really can't argue with Jesus' line of reasoning, so then they go and they attack him. And you see it just start to escalate. So they look at Jesus and they say, we are not illegitimate children. Hey, Jesus is born of a virgin. You know, nobody really believes that. They think Mary you know, is a town harlot who got knocked up by some dude. And, oh, no, it was God that did it. Yeah, right. So they look at Jesus and go, yeah, where's your dad? We're not bastards is what they say to him. I mean, do you, do you see that start raising just a little bit? It goes up. The, the only father we have is God himself. So the gloves come off here. And I think Jesus is like, you don't mess with my mama. You know, I think that's, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. How do you know God's your father? You love Jesus. Theology study all comes down to that point. Do you love Jesus? First Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One way to the father. Jesus keeps it basic. Do you love me? That's what he says right there. Good question. Do we love Jesus? That's a good indicator of our hearts. Jesus says, For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Jesus says some very tough things. Some people cannot hear it. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody in your life where they asked you about Jesus, and you start to tell them, and they don't understand a word you're saying to them. It doesn't help you to yell louder. Okay, people just turn you off just even more quick. So it doesn't do any good to, to yell. I mean, Jesus had the same problem, not because he was a poor evangelist or not because he was a poor communicator and couldn't make his case. He is God. You know, why can't they hear? Verse 44, Jesus says, you belong to your father, two families, the devil. Okay, you don't call my mom that. You belong to your father, the devil. I mean, can you see it? Just start to raise a little bit. If you want to win friends? That's what you do. Someone tunes you out. Okay, let's talk about your dad, Satan. And they'll tune in real quick and, you know, let's say, let's go for it. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How do you know which family you're in? You check your desires. You check your desires. If you hate righteousness and you love sin, you may be a child of the enemy. The way a Christian is supposed to work is their desires change. It doesn't mean they're perfect, not by a long shot. But when they sin, it bothers them. We have conviction. A Christian and a non-Christian may do the exact same thing, but because their desires are different, one will end up hating it and one will end up loving it. Second thing is, are you a liar? Do lies govern your life and your whole life? Is your security is all held together by a web of lies? Well, you may need to question whether you really love Jesus. The third thing says the devil is a murderer. Everything he touches dies. Every relationship dies. Satan mimics God. God loves to tell the truth. Satan lies. God brings life and healing and reconciliation. Satan wants to bring death. He even seeks to kill Jesus. God seeks to bring healing and wholeness to churches and lives, and Satan wants to destroy that. Jesus says, you claim to follow God, but you're trying to put me to death. Verse 45, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So then Jesus takes us all down to a very practical level. He says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Why is Jesus' opinion more important? Because he's perfect. He is not a liar. He didn't sin. He has authority. And people hate it when somebody has authority over them. 
Jesus invites them. Look into my life. See if you can find any sin in my life whatsoever. Only a perfect person makes that claim. Only a perfect person. If all the people who wanted to discredit you only had to find one sin about you, you would not invite them to do their homework unless you really didn't sin. I mean, I would never invite you guys to find some sin in me. Because I'll tell you, you just wait till I get out of the parking lot. You'll see it probably from here to the time I get out of the parking lot. You'll just see it and be like, oh, that guy is sinful. Yes, I am. Because we all are. I mean, you'll find more than enough to convict me of sin if you just want to look. But not Jesus. Don't laugh, it's sad. Verse 47. <laughs> Jesus says, Who belongs to God, uh, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Saying this to the religious people. Do you see it just escalating a little bit more? He says, you don't belong to God. Jesus actually gets to make that call. If you've ever had a conversation with someone who just will not believe and, and, you, and they keep asking you questions and going at you and you actually demolish some of their arguments in, in love, okay, and the conversation goes to a place where it gets very personal because they can no longer deal with the issues, so they start attacking you. It's not about Jesus anymore. It's not about sin anymore. Now it's just, I hate this guy. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? They look at God and say, his problem is demon possession. I think there's got to be a rule against that somewhere, right? God can't be demon possessed? Okay, all right. The Samaritans are a theological mess. you got paganism and their scriptures all mushed together. It's like you're a heretic and, and you're possessed. And Jesus now makes one of the greatest understatements in all of scripture. I love it. It cracks me up. Nobody laughed last service, but we'll see. Verse 49, I am not possessed by a demon. I love that. I thought about it. The answer is no. You know, I just said, Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking to glorify. uh, I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. And he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. It's like I came to honor God. You dishonor me. This is not about me. You've got a problem with the father. Take it up with him. Don't call me dirty names. Be nice. I made you like that. So Jesus makes in this promise at the end of this. He says, trust me and you won't taste death. Jesus, and the Jews would see this in his conversation. What Jesus has just done is he has addressed humanity's two greatest enemies, sin and death. Sin and death. He says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Verse 52. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. You know, we had doubts. Now we know. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? God? Theological professionals, they argue with Jesus. Who do you think you are? And he tells them, this is great. And there are times in Scripture when Jesus is the most gracious and tender in all of human history. And sometimes we need to be that way. And there are times when he is the harshest. He is the harshest. People who know they have blown it, Jesus is very compassionate and very caring and very kind. When people are self-righteous and judgmental and try to make a fool out of Jesus, he becomes very harsh. He just told them, your father's the devil. It's awesome. This is to some very good church-going folk, very moral, non-drinking, dancing, Nazarene Baptist kind of, kind of people. You know, If you are arrogant, Jesus will seek to break you so you can be honest about your condition. Verse 54, Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. For my Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. So who does the Father adore and respect and love and share his glory with? The Old Testament says nobody. God shares his glory with no one because no one's God. And Jesus just said he shares it with me. Who am I? I'm God. 
That's what Jesus just said. Verse 55, though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Boom. I mean, the temperature in the room just keeps going, do, 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 do. Jesus, the dude's awesome. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He's like, you want to talk about Abraham? Okay, Abraham laid in bed every night and prayed, Dear God, let me meet Jesus. That's what Abraham prayed. He said, Abraham's looking for me. I think this refers back to the story of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they, you know, God promises them a kid. They haven't had kids in a long time. Abraham's been shooting blank. Sarah's barren. they got no kids in the deal. It's early, whatever, okay. Uh, no kids, no, God makes a promise. You know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna get a kid. You're gonna get a son. The son will lead to a son, to a son, to a son, to a son, eventually to my son who is Jesus. You're gonna have a baby. Sarah laughs. She laughs because she's old. They don't even go to the store and buy green bananas because the bananas might outlast them. Okay? So they finally get this kid, but it's like 24 years after God makes the promise. They're like 100 years old. And they have this baby. And God names the baby Laughter. Isaac. And they love the boy. You know, like I said, they're 100 years old. 100-year-old people don't have kids. They shouldn't be doing things that let them have kids, you know? <laughs> well, I don't know. They got that little blue peel nail, so maybe that helps. Um, so this, this boy, he grows up. He grows up. Uh, and he's their heir. He's one, and, and what happens, and when he's about a teenager, God shows up and he goes to Abraham and he goes, kill your boy. Now, and you know, a lot of people go, a lot of religions in that area practice child and human sacrifice. And there's a lot of commentators that say that God did this to Abraham so he would go through this whole process and not actually kill him in the end, because we are on the backside of it, but not actually kill him in the end because he wanted Abraham to see that God never wants a human sacrifice like that. So what happens is they they go to this place where God says, go here, and and they travel there. They go to the bottom of a mountain called Moriah. So they get there, Abraham and his son go up the hill. Isaac carries the wood on his back because obviously Abraham's like 120 years old at this point. His son's carrying the wood on his back, much just like Jesus carried his own wood on his back. When they get to the place to offer the sacrifice, Isaac, Isaac willingly lays himself down. And you see this because, you know, what teenager couldn't outrun or beat up a 120-year-old man, right? If, if you're 20 and you can outrun a 120-year-old dude, you need to leave here right now and just go to the gym, okay? That's... Isaac lays down. Abraham raises the knife to shed the blood of his one and his only son. Do you see all the foreshadowing in this? Raises his knife. And it says, the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, throughout Scripture, you'll see two things. You'll see an angel of the Lord, which is typically an angel. And when you see the angel of the Lord with with the definite article of the angel, it usually refers to a theophany of, of God in the flesh. And so I think Jesus shows up here in Genesis chapter 22, and he says, don't kill your son. And what happens is God provides a sacrifice in the place of Isaac, and a promise gets made that on this mountain, God is going to provide a sacrifice. Promise his own, his own son is going to willingly die and lay down his life for all people. A promise gets made that through this descendant of Abraham, all the world is going to be blessed. And Jesus says, Abraham was looking forward to my day. I am the means to which the world will be blessed, and the sacrifice for sin will be laid down. Verse 58, you are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? It's like, you're 30, and you saw Abraham? What are you talking about? Verse 58, I tell you the truth. Jesus is not rushed. He is very emphatic. This means listen to what I'm about to say. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, I am, 
I talked about this last week, is a statement of being God. This is from Exodus 3.14. Moses is, is a guy, he, he murders somebody, runs for his life, goes to a little hick town. There's a bunch of women around a, a well, and Moses shows up, and these, and these guys are hassling the women. You know, all these guys who spend too much time drinking beer and putting all their money into their cars and don't know how to take responsibility. And Moses shows up and does a little Moses foo, you know, whatever. And he, and he saves the day, and he ends up marrying one of these girls. He settles down, he has some kids, uh, basically becomes like a shepherd. He was, he was trained in the best schools in Egypt, and now he's kind of like a shepherd. Which, so he's you know, a great, well-educated underachiever. Uh, and so God shows up one day. He was, Moses is out you know, watching his goats and whatever, and he's doing his thing. And then he's out in the middle of the desert, and here's this little bush burning the side. It's like a desert. That's normal. Bushes burn. It's a desert. You know, it's what happens. So Moses is totally bored. He walks over to check it out. What's going on with the bush? And all of a sudden, God starts talking to him out of the midst of the bush. And God says, go to Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. He's tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, that he has to let his million slaves go. And Moses is like, well, I can't go and say, uh, you've got to let these, all these people go because the bush said so. You know, he goes, well, I need more. What, what do I do? In Exodus three thirteen and 14, it says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Names are very important. Uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God reveals himself. This is the issue with God, that we can seek to know God, but God has to reveal himself to us. Thomas Aquinas said of the I am statement that it is a statement of eternality. That It's not that God was or God will be. It's that God always is, period. God just is. And so God works in time, but he is eternal. The Jews actually so revered the name of God that they wouldn't even write his name. If you look in the Old Testament and you see the Lord and it has it all caps, that's Yahweh okay, in, the, in the Old Testament. That is God's names with the vowels removed because they thought that God's name was too holy to even write down. And so Jesus is a good Jew. He's a young guy. He looks at them and he says, before Abraham was born, I am. He tells them, I created Abraham. I spoke to Moses out of the bush, is what he told them. It is very popular in our day to say Jesus was a moral guy. Jesus is just a simple teacher, winsome living. You know, and after he died, his followers made up this harebrained idea that Jesus claimed to be God. And they, well, he, that's not really true. You know, yet John, over and over and over in his gospel, shows that's not the case. Jesus claimed to be God. It wasn't his followers that made it up. It was Jesus who taught it. And either Jesus tells the truth or he is a liar, which then puts him squarely in the other family. Jesus said, I have no sin. I am God. He's not just a moral, nice guy. He is God. To make the case more emphatic at this point, the Jews know exactly what he's saying because if someone commits blasphemy and claims to be God, they need to die. So in verse 59, it says, At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. If Jesus made the statement in error, it's a great time to just go, oh, you misunderstand me, let me rephrase that. You know, I, I didn't really mean that. But he doesn't. A good Jewish boy knows you don't ever make yourself out to be God. Ever. If he was misinterpreted, this is where he could say, let me rephrase that. But he doesn't. This, the entire book of John actually begins to transition right here between chapter 8 and 9. At this point, uh, all of a sudden, the Jews are seeking all the more harder to start to kill Jesus. They're looking for every opportunity they can to get their hands on him after this point. In Mark 14, the Jews, it shows the Jews actually get together, and they actually say, because of the sin of blasphemy, they sought to kill him now. This was their goal, was to get rid of him. 
Jesus is not a fool. He knows what he said. He knows what he is doing. And they ask him who he was, and he pauses and very emphatically says, listen to what I'm about to tell you. You want to know who I am? I'm God. That's what he says. And he came to set us free because he loves us. Because he loves us. This is the bread and butter of Christianity right here. Jesus states he wants to set us free. Let me ask you a question. From what we looked at this morning, what does he want to set us free from? Sin. Excellent. Sin is a joy robber. God gave us a life to live to the full, and sin destroys our conscience, makes us self-centered. It, it makes us so we can't enjoy the life that God gave us. What else? Death. Set us free from death. Paul says death is our enemy. Our world, our body, our life is in decay, and God grants life. Lies. In lies, the, the enemy tells lies and we believe things about ourselves and our God that just are not true and we live in error and Jesus wants to set us free from those. Satan, the devil, yeah, we believe he exists. Okay, we think he's there. Culturally, we believe that freedom means autonomy. We get to do whatever we want to do. But then if we did that, we would then be a slave to our sins again. We are contingent beings. We rest and are alive because there is a God that sustains us and keeps us going. God is the only one who is independent. Only God. God doesn't need us. We need God. God is fine without us, but we are not fine without Him. And people say, well, Christianity is a crutch. Well, you know, if your arms and legs are broken, you need something that's going to pick you up. That's the state we're in. So God frees us from sin, Satan, death, lies, slavery, frees us from and frees us to God and worship and righteousness and joy and truth. This happens through Jesus. He lives a sinless life in our place, dies for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He overcomes our enemy of death. He becomes a substitute on our behalf for our sins, and they are placed upon Him. He invites us to love Him. And that's how we get freedom from and freedom to. Freedom from Satan to God. Freedom from lies to truth. Freedom from death to life. Freedom from slavery to sonship. And Jesus invites us then to continue in his teaching and abide in that teaching. You cannot master your own life. Every time you try, you end up being a slave to sin. So you must give it to Christ if you truly want to be free. Today, the issue for all of us is the issue of sin. What are we going to do about it? Sin's an offense against God. So what do you do with it? Because it keeps us disconnected from God. Jesus invites us to give it to him. He lives sinless perfection, and he trades that sinless perfection for our sin. He died and rose from the dead, and he exchanges that for the punishment that we deserve. He gives us life. He gives us freedom. If you are here this morning, and you love God, what does this have to do with you? Well, glad you asked. Uh, you know the problem sin, the answer is Jesus. So we go back to what he said. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word is to you continue to continue. You don't lose heart. You don't grow weary. You always seek to know him more. And the more that you abide in Christ, the more free you become. The more mature that you grow, the more free you should become. It is arrogant pride to ever think that we will ever know all that there is to know about God. God is a well with no bottom, and there's always something fresh to draw from. I think that for eternity, we will be experiencing greater and greater measures of freedom as we plumb the depths of who God is. We will not be chubby little kids eating chocolate, strumming harps, sitting on clouds. We will be participating, participating in the kingdom of God, learning more about who God is, becoming freer every step of the way. 
And that idea is what brings us to communion every single week. Because this is how Jesus paid for and bought our freedom. The, the cracker, when you break it, it represents his body, which was broken for you and I. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, it represents his blood that was shed for us. So we can be free. So we can be free. Truly, who we're supposed to be. And so we worship God through communion. We're going to worship God through prayer. And for you, if you don't know Jesus, there's going to be elders and deacons in the back of the room. And if you want to pray with somebody, they would love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus so you can also be free. If you are a believer and, and you're just not continuing to continue and you keep getting sucked back in to the vicious cycle, pray with them. They'd love to pray with you and to talk with you and to help you to figure out maybe a plan to not keep falling back into that. I remember we should have got through song. The band's going to come up. And as we do, the songs help to refocus our minds to where they're supposed to be for a little bit. We corporately together, we worship God together as a corporate body. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the very back of the room. And we give because God gave so much to you and I. And we worship God through fellowship. Uh, you know, this is, again, much more outside these walls and in these walls. Again, if this is the only place that you worship God is within these walls, then there's something wrong. The majority of your worship should be outside those doors. How you treat people. How you live in the freedom that God has given you. That is what is most important. I mean, again, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has set us free so that we can be a people who worship Him in freedom and in truth. I mean, it's like we, you know, I, I talked to somebody last week who sent me this email, and nobody here again, I'm not picking on any of you, and, and they were talking about how they don't think they really need to be in church, go to church uh, as a gathering of people, and I go, you need to be in church. I said, that's, that's part of the reason God created us, to corporately worship together. I mean, there, there's a whole lot of worship that you do on your own outside these doors and how you live every second of your life. But corporately, we're supposed to get together with other believers and sing songs and talk to people and be like, you took my parking spot in the parking lot. You know, I, you know what, it's, it's this whole, but it's this whole idea of being a family and doing things together and then being refreshed and going out and making friends here and going out and living how we're supposed to live there. Reconciliation, freedom, truth, all these things Jesus gives to us because he is good and he is God and who he, he is who he claimed to be. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we, as a people, honor you as our God. That we learn how to live more and more in the freedom that you give us. God, that we learn how to continue. And not shrink back and, and not be lazy. But to simply move to the places that you called us to go to. God, quite honestly, we confess that we know that we are not perfect. God, we sin all the time. And we are sorry. But we thank you that you pick us up, you dust us off, you give us our crutches <laughs> so we can walk. And we can live fully and free as you have called us to live. Help us to understand your grace and your freedom. So we live as your people in this world and reflect the light that you long for people to see. This morning, as we take communion, as we sing songs, as we hang out with each other, help us to remember your freedom and grace. 
Amen.